0: Each one of us, without exception, is going to meet the Lord in heaven eye to eye and give an evaluation of our Christian life. Now, some people think, well, I'm saved. I'm born again. I am promised a space in heaven. It really doesn't matter how I lived i'll not have to give an account for the way i've prayed i'll not have to give an account for the way i've witnessed i'll not have to give an account for the way i've given to the lord's work i'll not have to give an account for the way i've served or sacrificed for the kingdom it will make no difference because god is an equal opportunity employer oh it will make a difference
1: welcome to search the scriptures the bible teaching ministry of dr carl brogie Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, The Judgment of the Just. Today, we will see that the judgment seat of Christ will also be a place of regret for some Christians. 2 John 8 says, Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Some believers, because they do not guard their hearts, lose the progress that they have, and they will not receive the full reward that God wants them to have. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues.
0: Paul is telling us that the unwilling servant does not get a reward. Those of you who sang in the choir this morning, those of you ushering, those of you teaching children, teaching adults, serving in the nursery, why are you doing it? Well, I I tithe because the Bible commands me, say, to tithe. God neither needs nor wants your tithe like he is bankrupt. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all who dwell in it. God loves a cheerful giver. He looks at attitude. We're not to be like those Pharisees, those religious men, who literally had someone sound a little trumpet To introduce their giving to those large containers outside of the temple. Jesus said they did it to be noticed by men. And then he said, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. When you do things for the praise of men, that's the reward you'll get. The praise of men. So God looks at what we do. God looks at what we attempted to do. And God looks at why we did it. Listen to these words in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Those of you who will help keep missionaries at the coming mission conference this fall, those of you who help pastors who serve men of God who are called in the ministry, God looks at that you will receive a prophet's reward. It's a magnificent promise. Now listen to verse 42. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Now he's not talking about the preacher. Now he's not talking about the missionary. Here we are this morning in this beautifully climate-controlled Building where it's a cooker outside. We're in a house of worship. It's peaceful, it's quiet. You don't hear any of the kids screaming, do you? Why? Because next door in the nursery, some of those people are tirelessly not just teaching some children but entertaining others to keep them happy so your number won't have to come up here. Anthony Vaughn some years ago gave me a sign to put in the nursery, it said it all. It was from 1 Corinthians 15, 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. (laughs) Listen, even a cup of cold water, God sees it. When you walk down these hallways today and you greet someone you've never met, When you give a hug to a believer who needs it or a handshake, God sees it all. Whether you're a Billy Graham or a nursery worker, God will evaluate all that we've done and he will reward us for it. But God is looking at motivation, God is looking at what we've done and what we've attempted to do. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is a place of revelation. That's the first point. Are you tracking with me? Say amen. All right. Secondly, the judgment seat of Christ is a place of reward. Not only is it a place of revelation, it is a place of reward. Let's continue further here in 1 Corinthians 3 in verse 13. He says, each man's work will become evident for the day, the the evaluation day. The day will show it. Because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. But then God promises in verse 14, if any man's work which he has built on it, that is the foundation remains, he will receive a reward. Now some Christian people in their ignorance do not believe in heavenly rewards. They are under the impression that heaven is the same for everyone. But clearly the Bible teaches there are degrees of reward in heaven. Paul has already said in chapter 3 here and in verse 8 that each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. You cannot receive my reward. I cannot receive your reward. Each of us will receive our own reward. At the end of the Bible, Jesus said in Revelation 22, 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. And so he says then in the final recorded words spoken of Jesus, yes, I am coming quickly. He's speaking to the elder this morning. He's speaking to the deacon. He's speaking to the staff member. He's speaking to all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Behold, he's trying to get our attention. I'm coming quickly, meaning suddenly, in a moment's time, and I'm going to render to every man according to what he has done. We'll see this before we're done at the judgment of the lost, and it is also true at the judgment of the saved. You're saved by grace, but you are rewarded, the Bible teaches, according to what you have done. Listen to the words in Matthew 16:27. Jesus said, therefore, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. So I'm sharing with some of you who have the false impression that heaven will be the same for all, that it's not. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? If heaven is the same for everyone, then this command that he gives makes zero sense. He said to his people, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. May I tell you that this verse makes zero sense if we all receive the same reward. He is exhorting us to lay up treasure in heaven. And at the judgment of seed of Christ, what we've laid up, if it's done for his glory, for his honor, and the power of the Holy Spirit, it will indeed be rewarded. Now, God doesn't see the way man sees. Remember the prophet Samuel, he was called to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons, and he saw Eliab, and he said, surely the Lord's anointed. And God said, no, he's not my man. He's a good man, but he's not the man I want as king, because you see, I don't see the way a man sees, and God will not see the way we see do you remember mark chapter 12 when the crowds were so impressed with the religious leaders as they blew their trumpet and poured large sums of money into the treasury horns jesus said truly i say to you this poor widow this poor widow who comes up with two mites don't speak of the widow's mite. there's no such thing she had two mites, which was an equivalent to about a penny She came, and he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Now, he did not say she gave more than any of them. He said she gave more than all of them, put together. And no doubt, down through the centuries, this woman has motivated more people to give millions of dollars to the cause of Christ. We look at a gift and say, oh, a $100,000 gift, that's fantastic. Many times it is, and it is fantastic because it was given with the right motivation. But this poor widow, where there are two mites, gave everything she had, and the Lord was so impressed. It will become clear in the future. Remember Mary of Bethany? They're just six days before Jesus is crucified. One of the many anointings in scripture. Don't blend them together. There's four. And she broke that expensive alabaster vial and poured it at his feet. And she was criticized. Oh, this could have been used to maybe help some poor people. And Jesus blessed her for what she did. And he said, what she did will be remembered as long as the gospel is preached. And I'm remembering her this morning. Listen, you serve Jesus, you're going to be criticized. You serve him out of a right heart, faithful to the word of God which is becoming less and less popular, you're going to be criticized. You know, and some days when Christians are criticized or they're overlooked or no one expresses appreciation for the slaving labor they give, they just, they just melt. There's coming a day when there's going to be a great reversal where the first will be last and the last will be First. You say, well, what are all the implications of these eternal rewards? Well, let me begin by saying, again, this is not a judgment that's punitive in any sense for any sin you've committed or any unconfessed sin. That has been satisfied and dealt with at the cross. The Bible is clear that you're not saved by the house you build. You're saved if you're on the foundation, and the foundation is Christ. And you can only be on the foundation as if you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, but with that said, how you build on that foundation becomes critical. Think of it this way: Suppose you have a ledger and on one side you have all these credits, and on the other side you have all these debits, debits. Well, if you've been justified, if you've been declared righteous, the debit side with all your sin is gone. There's nothing there. But the credit side looks at your works that were done that are of gold, silver and precious stones. And God will reward you for those. And while there's a lot of silence in Scripture as to all of the eternal implications, it doesn't change the fact that I'm commanded to lay up treasure in heaven. Now, we do have some inklings as to its implications. Listen to these words. Matthew twenty five fifty one twenty one. 21. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Speaking of the coming kingdom, Luke records in the 19th chapter, the 17th verse. And he said to him, Jesus said, well done, good slave. Because you've been faithful in a very little thing, you will be in authority over 10 cities. So Matthew 25, Luke 19, together... Affirm that God will reward some with many things and others with many cities. Meaning during the millennial reign of Christ, during his thousand year reign, there will be various degrees of responsibility and reward. There will be leadership opportunities, not to mention when the door in heaven is opened, Revelation 4, one, And so the church is never mentioned again in Revelation 4 through 18 until she comes back with Jesus in Revelation 19 because we're in heaven. In Revelation 4, we see the elders who take their crowns, which is one expression of rewards. God speaks of different crowns in Scripture. What do they do with those crowns? Do they wear them like peacocks? Of course not. They cast them at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And they worship him. And so one aspect of rewards is indeed worship. And Daniel underscores that same truth. That some will shine brighter than others through all of eternity. So there's worship. There's responsibility. There's certainly opportunity. And so lay up treasure in heaven. Listen to these words. 1 John 4. We love... Because he first loved us, and then he says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So why should I lay up treasure in heaven? Is God putting some kind of standard on me, some kind of pressure on me to perform? Any command God gives you, any command, we do it because of this new position he's given us. Because we are under grace Because we can't do anything to make ourselves more acceptable. We can't do anything to make ourselves unacceptable. We have the righteousness of Christ. We are new creations. We are saints of God. So we love him because he first loved us. We obey out of love. You know, God isn't looking, as it's often said by preachers, for people of great ability. But people of great availability. In other words, you're available. You are yielded to the Spirit of God. You are filled with the Spirit. And if you don't know what that means, you should go to the discovery class. There are four commands that relate to the filling of the Spirit that every believer needs to know. But if you are filled with the Spirit as much as you know how to be, When you obey what you know, you will grow, in God teaches, not only are we not saved by works, but in Ephesians 2.10, he says in the next verse, we're saved to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. God has a plan for your life, a tailored plan for your life, and when you are filled with the Spirit and your mind is being renewed with Scripture, God begins to unfold that plan. And as you live in the Spirit, as you serve Him in the Spirit in eternity, He rewards you for it. It's a magnificent arrangement. So, God may expect more of some than others. I suppose He expects more of a Billy Graham or a Spurgeon and of a full time staff member than He might of some other people. Jesus made it clear that some believers are five talent Christians. And some believers are one-talent Christians. God knows what he has given to you. And he'll take that all into account such that even a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name will be rewarded. So the judgment seat of Christ is a place of revelation. The judgment seat of Christ is a place of reward. Third, and finally, very quickly, the judgment seat of Christ will be a place of regret. Look now, if you will, at verse 15 of this chapter. It's one of the most challenging verses in the whole chapter, I suppose. Let me back it up to verse 13 so we get the flow. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Now verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. And so the judgment seat of Christ will be a place of regret. Have you ever thought about the fact that you can lose the reward that God has for you? Listen to these words in Matthew 10, 42. Again, I just read it. Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Implication, it's possible to lose your reward. It's possible for your service to go up in smoke. Some people are building what others think are, is a magnificent house and while it may be made out of mahogany it's made out of wood and it's combustible did you know that god has a reward that he wants you to achieve again you walk in the spirit you will live that life that god has prepared beforehand for you to walk in it listen to first john two twenty-eight. and now little children Abide in him, that is keep on serving him, don't quit, don't backslide, abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Now this is different from the gospels where Jesus speaks of unbelievers of whom Jesus is ashamed of. They're unwilling to openly confess him before men. You're not saved by walking an aisle like this or some Billy Graham crusade, but I want to tell you the scripture is clear that if you are saved on the inside, you won't be ashamed on the outside. And Jesus will be ashamed of the unbelievers who are willing to identify with him, and so he will not be able to identify them before his father as his own. But that's not what this verse is speaking of. John is dealing with Christians who are ashamed of themselves, who shrink in shame when they see Jesus and they say, oh, I wasted so much of my life. And so listen, to these words in 2 John verse 8. Watch yourselves. That you may not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Some believers, because they do not guard their hearts, they lose the progress that they have, and they do not receive the full reward that God wants. So Jesus said it in Revelation 3 and verse 11, I am coming quickly, hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown." That's what he's talking about, losing the reward where your works are burned up. And so, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Saved, yet so is through fire. What does that mean? Now remember, the foundation is Christ. And if you have Christ as your foundation, the foundation remains. You are eternally secure. But if you have a life of service, of wood, hay, and stubble, it will be burned up. Saved, we used to say, but singed. You'll be in heaven, but your coattails will be smoking. Now I know the average carnally minded Christian, I know the way he thinks, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. I'm just happy I'm going, and God, you can just give me a little old log cabin in the corner of heaven and I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. You will suffer loss. And if you reason consistently that way, it may mean that you've never even been born again. You will suffer loss. Suppose you are a person who doesn't believe in banks, and you put your whole life into the house that you own, you build it with the finest materials, mahogany, staircases, Marble floors, beautiful chandeliers, all your money, stocks and bonds. They're hidden in the mattresses and in the walls. All of your precious metals, your jewels. It's all wrapped up in this home. And you're asleep one night and you wake up and the room is filled with smoke and you begin to choke and cough and you shake your wife and say, I'm going to get the kids. And you run down to the other end of the house and there's a wall of fire that's impenetrable. You can't get your kids. You turn around and you go back to get your wife. and, And now the ceiling has already been engulfed with flames. And it has collapsed over her head. Finally, as you see the fire running up and down the walls. Smoke all over your clothes. Embers in your hairs. You don't know what to do. But to jump out the window to save yourself. And you're on the ground and you get up and you brush yourself off. And you say, hallelujah, I made it. I'm saved. No, you wouldn't say that. Knowing your wife died, having heard the shrieks of your own children and all that you invested in up in smoke, you wouldn't say that. Do you know that there are Christians who will have deep regret at the judgment seat of Christ? And some of you, when you get to heaven, you're going to find out that some of your loved ones and friends are in hell because you didn't care enough to even share the gospel with them. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. The judgment seat of Christ is indeed a time of reward, but it's also a time of regret. I suppose it might be like a graduation a commencement exercise, thousands of graduates. There's a sense in which all are grateful that they've finished the course, they've got the diploma in hand. But some have a little disappointment in their hearts. I thought I should have worked harder, I could have had a higher GPA and maybe gotten into graduate school with a scholarship or I could have done this or I could have done that. But overall, there's just a sense of satisfaction that the course has been finished. And I suppose in some respects, heaven will be like that. Remember, you won't have a sin nature, so you won't be envious of anyone. And there will be a sense of satisfaction that you're there, but remember it's in heaven that God wipes away every tear from our eye. But there may be some inner disappointment Why didn't I serve the Lord more faithfully? We we, we don't want to overemphasize the judgment where we make heaven like hell, but neither do we want to minimize it where we think there's no real accountability because there is. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as Lord, I hope you are clear that we're not talking this morning at the judgments of the just about how to get to heaven. God either saves you through the finished work of Christ, through his blood sacrifice, where you put your faith, where he put his sin, or he doesn't save you at all. And if you're not 100% sure, typically it means you're not saved and you've got doubt in the back of your mind because you're not sure you're good enough, and God's word would announce to you you're not good enough and you never can be. You need a righteousness you cannot achieve or earn, but a righteousness that is imputed and gifted to you when you call upon Jesus in faith. But to those of us who have met the Lord Jesus and who are saved, the eyes of the Lord still move throughout the earth, looking that he might fully support the heart that is completely his. We need to hear Paul's words to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Some of you know this passage so well you can teach it. But as I poured through this portion of scripture, I said, Lord, search my heart. I don't want regrets at the judgment of the just. I want to receive the full reward that you have ordained for me that I might lay it at the feet of Christ and worship him. Our Father, your son says I am coming quickly and his reward is with him. And he will render every man according to his deeds, even the lost. I pray today for someone within the sound of my voice that in humility, they would say, Lord Jesus, save me. But for those of us who have crossed that line, help the Spirit of God to search our souls today, to evaluate our service, to think about the opportunities that he's given us. Father, if there's something that needs to be tweaked or totally changed, we pray the spirit of God would have freedom to show us that. That indeed he would be able to say to us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen.
1: As we close, every word that Pastor Carl preached today was from the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Have you ever wondered how you can prove the Bible to be true? Well, in Dr. Brogy's book, How to Prove the Bible is True?, Pastor Carl examines five crucial evidences that prove the Bible is the Word of God, and he will share how you can definitively and accurately convey these truths to others. With a donation of any amount, you can receive a copy of How to Prove the Bible is True today. Please call Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 or visit searchthescriptures.org to receive your copy today. If you missed any of our previous messages and would like to order your own copy, give us a call and request program God's Prophetic Schedule 009. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.